Hey y'all, welcome to Beautiful Resistance, where I, Samantha Duarte, will archive and document Black, Indigenous, and women of color, which is inclusive to all identifying folks in the community who are currently creating and paving the way for other Black, Indigenous, and women of color in the movement. This is where her stories will be told and remembered. In this episode, I will focus on the Mexican-American, also known as the Chicanos experience in the late 60s and early 70s. Specifically, I will focus on the women in the East Los Angeles chapter of the Brown Beret organization who faced intersectionalities of discrimination. The civil rights movement was a struggle for social justice that took place mainly during the 1950s and 1960s for black folks to gain equal rights under the law in the United States. Out of this movement created an era in which many marginalized communities demanded liberation, whether it was equal rights for black folks, women, indigenous, Chicano, Asian American, LGBTQ, and really inclusion amongst all communities. There was a clear message from organizers and activists across the nation about where they wanted this country and society to go. Unified as one through resistance, folks wanted liberation for all communities. The Brown Berets was a grassroots Chicano organization that was founded in 1968 by David Sanchez. It was inspired by the Black Panthers in which they would also fight against police brutality and demand for equal access and representation within the education system. In 1966, David and two others, Carlos Montes and Ralph Ramirez, would come up with a plan to ease tension existing between the community and the police department. In 1967, David Sanchez wrote a grant proposal to the Southern California Council of Churches to seek the necessary funds to fund the founding of their coffee house, La Perana. Before the Brown Berets were called the Brown Berets, they were actually called the Young Citizens for Community Action. Then, once the founders decided that they wanted to become more militant, they became the Young Chicanos for Community Action. Eventually, the name would change to the Brown Berets when David Sanchez got good feedback from the community about the Brown Beret he would always wear. This next part of the podcast is a narration of the interview I had with David Sanchez, in which he explains how the organization's beginnings were complicated yet simple. He also discusses what he did to attain the coffee house. Well, it's kind of complicated but simple. We had a group at the Boys and Girls Club called the Young Citizens for Community Action. And I wanted to convert the group to become more militant, and a lot of people didn't want to become militant. So my plan was to get more involved with hot issues within the community, you know, like police brutality and things like that. So I changed the name from Young Citizens for Community Action to Young Chicanos for Community Actions. I got a grant when I was 19 to open a coffee house. I had been working on the grant when I was in high school, and then finally I got funded as soon as I graduated. In this next part, Sanchez discusses how the name of the organization came to be. The way that happened was I was the first one to wear a brown beret and I got a lot of good responses from people. And I said, well, that would be a good name for brown beret. So I changed the name from Young Chicanos for Community Action to the Brown Berets. And I went and bought 12 more brown berets out of my own pocket. The East Los Angeles walkouts or the Chicano blowouts were a series of 1968 protests by Chicano students against unequal conditions in the Los Angeles Unified School District high schools. The protests took place on March 6, 1968. 
Members have been guilty of blatant discrimination against the Cuban. Mexican-American students have presented a list of demands which challenged the school's alleged policy prohibiting the speaking of Spanish on the school ground. After the East LA walkouts, the Brown Berets gained national attention and became one of the lead Chicano organizations that would lead the fight for Chicano rights. While this organization was created to fight for the liberation of Chicanos across the nation, the gender inequalities that took place due to the traditional machista ideologies that Latino cultures practice pushed the Chicanas in the organization to their gender consciousness during the second wave of feminism in the 1960s. All while they were seen progressive at the time, the Chicanas in the organization felt as if they were being demeaned and devalued by the men in the organization. Here is David's take on the issue. This must have been about in August, July or August of 1970. This is what happened. Okay, one of the girls got into it with one of the guys on the board. They got into a little contact, but that's not what got me mad. What got me mad was we had a corporation, a property corporation, which was the East LA Free Clinic. That's what we had, a free clinic. So what happened was some of the girls got mad at some of the guys. So they stole the clinic, the medical clinic, which was also the Brown Beret Clinic. And they moved it down the street and they changed the name of the clinic of our corporation from the East LA clinic to the Barrio Free Clinic. They took the name off the corporation and they moved the offices down the street. I didn't appreciate this. So right away I said, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. So that's when the division happened. I didn't want anything to do with them because they stole the clinic and all this other stuff that they're saying isn't true. They stole the clinic from the Brown Berets and I don't appreciate that. The East LA Free Clinic known as El Barrio Free Clinic that was founded by Sanchez and Grant Driven opened its door on Whittier Boulevard on May 30th of 1969. This clinic responded to pressing issues facing the Chicanx community in East Los Angeles, especially the lack of access to affordable health care. In this next part, Gloria Arellana is the head of the clinic and a member of the Brown Berets discusses how she got her role in the clinic. So he was setting, you know, setting up this free clinic. I was not involved in it and I did not start it, but he came to me and he says, Gloria, I want you to run this free clinic. And he told him, I'm not interested. You know, I don't know much about health, and I'm just not interested in it. And um, he says, well, you're going to run it. You know, it was almost like a command, you know. So I said, well, okay, I'll try it. I said, but if it doesn't work out, you know, you got to do it. Or you choose somebody else. Well, it became my passion, you know. So we did, I did write grants. I did write a lot of grants. The clinic provided many services for the community in East Los Angeles, like emergency doctor visits, regular checkups, contraceptives, therapy, sex ed classes, dental, alcohol, anonymous resources, and support groups, along with becoming an open door that led to a safe space for folks who were known to overdose on drugs and women who were in domestic violence situations. Gloria Arellanas, the Brown Beret Minister of Finance Correspondence, stood in solidarity with the women and the underdogs in the East LA chapter, thus calling for the resignation of all the women to resign. She did this due to her frustrations that she had with the men in the Brown Berets and the founder, David Sanchez. There was an incident where the new breed, a motorcycle gang, and a few of the men from the Brown Berets rushed into the clinic as a way of protection. After this, Gloria states she could no longer keep up with being silenced because now these issues were affecting children. Here is Ariana as she explains the incident. They put me in a corner and I just started yelling and acting crazy. Who does that in front of a gun with, with a nutcase? You don't know what they're about, you know? 
And even his friend said, hey man, put that away. You know, and this is on Whittier Boulevard. It's loaded with cars, people going back and forth. All the patients that were in there, there was kids in there that day. They were getting their physical exams from Pasadena. And then the staff and volunteers and our professional staff, the medical doctors and technicians and nurses, and you know, they're all looking out the door and these two brown berets, hey Gloria, be careful, he's got a gun. Like I couldn't see the gun. Come on. <laughs> I wanted to go there, slap him on the ear. That's some of my memories of, of you know that time period. And so those things just kind of piled up, that kind of behavior in disturbing, disrupting the clinic schedule and function and you know causing you know necessary people to come and you know pull out a gun you know i didn't go over there and harass them you know they came over and started and i said look i asked them very politely i said i don't care what your problem is well those guys ran in here they're punks and this and that. I, go, I don't care what your problem is you know take it to the alley there's a alley back there um i have patients and there's children in here you need to leave i'm not gonna leave them blah, blah, blah. you know just kept on kept on kept on so and it was very interesting I got calls from different groups saying I heard a gun was pulled on you tonight and we're gonna take care of it blah 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 that's all it was with blah 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 <laughs> because the very next day I decided we need to look for another building because we were always getting people from the bar next door beat up blood one, day, one morning we came and there was blood all over our doors and there was a picture in the collection of that. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, we took care of those people if they came in, but sometimes they'd come when there was no doctor there because we only had doctors in the evenings. And, uh, you know, we just needed to move from that area and we were outgrowing it because it was so popular and our waiting room was very, very small. So we needed more space and we found this other building on Atlantic. The closure of the clinic had to do with the resignation of the women in the East Los Angeles chapter of the Brown Berets. The women felt as though they were doing most of the work for the clinic, as well as editing for the newspaper La Causa. This work was being done by the women, but they were not being credited for doing so. In the resignation letter, Gloria states, We have been treated as nothings, as revolutionary sisters which means the resolutions that our macho men have voted for have been disregarded. We have been found that the brown beret men have oppressed us more than the pig system has, in which the eyes in the revolutionaries is a serious charge. Arayanas and the women recognized the machista values within the organization and decided to take a stand to show that they no longer will withstand the treatment of being more oppressed than what they had tirelessly fought, fought against police brutality. While this moved paved the way for other women to stand against patriarchy and machismo within grassroots organization, Ariana's had no idea the effect of her bold revolutionary resistance. After this incident, the women in the Los Angeles chapter went their separate ways. Not only did they move El Barrio Free Clinic down the road, changing it to La Clinica del Barrio with them, they would also go on to create their own organization called Las Adelitas de Atzlan. Their name, Las Adelitas de Atzlan, derives from the Mexican Revolution in the 1900s. The women soldiers, known as Las Adelitas, would go on to fight front lines alongside the men fighting in the war. 
The women would sometimes dress in men's uniforms so that they would be respected and treated the same as their male counterparts. The women in the Brown Berets definitely resonated with Las Adelitas as they too were revolutionary women who wanted to be seen as equals as they resisted and brought justice to a system that was oppressing them. This was definitely the tone that they were looking for within the Brown Beret organization. The women were bonded together like family. This was called political familiarism, which is a colonial response to racism and rejection to male dominance that was also known as cultural nationalism. While this organization does not exist today, the relegated positions and gender hierarchies that they that they sought out to fight created a rising consciousness amongst the women in the Chicano movement that pushed for their voices to be heard. For me, the story of the Chicanas resisting machismo in an organization that was made to resist hierarchies that oppressed them became very important. For quite some time, I have been questioning my own identity as a Chicana and those that came before me. And as this story unfolds, it's noted that no matter how progressive an organization or a movement is, there are problematic features. But as I navigate through my becoming, I have intentionally decided to acknowledge those faults and those very important parts of history that's usually left out. I'd like to acknowledge the folks that allowed me to interview them during this process. Gloria Arellanas, the Minister of Finance Correspondence of the Brown Berets in the 1960s. David Sanchez, the founder of the Brown Berets. My grandfather, Jimmy Montoya, who narrated David Sanchez's interview. In the next episode of Beautiful Resistance, we will go further into detail about who the Brown Berets were, key members of the Brown Beret, and what Gloria and Las Adelitas went on to do afterwards. I hope y'all stay with me as I continue to document Black, Indigenous, and women of color and the work that they have done in the community. Dreaming to the beat of the drum one day, one with the sunlight.